the church of Thyatira. What really defined this church was false teaching. You know, this is, again, one of those things that we don't necessarily like to hear about. Um, and actually, I'll say this. It's, it's fine as long as we keep false teaching very general. But when somebody begins to throw out names or ministries that we have listened to or buy their books and read their materials, all of a sudden, it, it strikes a little close to home. And Jesus sounds the alarm on false teaching. Paul the Apostle sounds the alarm on false teaching. Peter sounds the alarm on false teaching. John sounds the alarm on false teaching. False teaching has always been there. But today, it's, it's so subtle and it's becoming so prevalent in the Christian community. And we have to understand that nobody hosts the second annual false teaching conference of Sacramento, right? False teaching, by its very nature, there, there's not... A big neon sign with an arrow, this false teaching. No, false teaching is so subtle. In fact, one of the words that Jesus will use today about the church in Thyatira is seduces. It seduces. And this is from Paul's letter to Timothy. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It takes something to endure sound doctrine. When something is the truth, it takes something to, to sit and listen to that and hear it many times, the truth of Scripture. I mean, it's an insult to our intellect. It's an insult to our nature. It's an insult to our life priorities. But here's what Paul says. He says that it's according to our own desires that people will begin to heap up teachers for themselves. In other words, people will seek out teachers who will just tell them what they want to hear. There's no shortage of teachers out there who will just tell you what sounds great. If we wanted to have a big church, I say it would be very easy. Let's just stop teaching the truth and start teaching motivational inspirational health and wellness talks in the name of the Bible. And I guarantee you, we would see a large crowd. What we have to remember is just because something's popular doesn't mean it's right. And just because something's popular doesn't mean it's truth. He talks about turning our ears away from the truth and being turned aside to fables. People would much rather listen to stories than the word of God. So here's what Paul says to Timothy. Preach the word, he says. Be ready in season and out. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. You would think that if Paul the Apostle could look ahead through the lens of time and say, a time is going to come when people are not going to want to hear sound doctrine, you would think then what Paul would say is because people aren't going to want to hear that, then Timothy, you need to come up with some other way to connect with people. You need to find something that they'll listen to so you can draw them in. But what Paul tells Timothy is actually, again, counterintuitive. He says, a time's going to come when people won't want to hear that. So what you do is you commit yourself to teaching that. Start offering what people won't want. Be committed to that. Because again, we have to remember, this isn't for us. It's for him. 
And yes, we should be seeker sensitive, but the seeker we should be most sensitive to is God. Because God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The letter to the church in Thyatira. Thyatira was not a real um, notable city. It was not a famous city. You know, some of the churches or some of the cities that we've looked at were famous cities. The one thing that we could say that the city of Thyatira was noted for is that it had all these different trade guilds, kind of like what we would think of as a union today, a blacksmith's guild, a tent-making guild, all that kind of stuff. In fact, we have inscriptions that mention the following guilds associated with the city of Thyatira. Wool workers, linen workers, makers of outer garments, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave dealers, bronze smiths, and dyers. In fact, in the first century AD, Thyatira was famous for its dyeing facilities. John Walvoord writes, Thyatira was famous for the manufacture of purple dye. Now, here's the thing about these guilds. They would have their meetings in the temples. These would be temples to the Greek and Roman gods. You'd have you know, the temple to Aphrodite. You'd have the temple to Mars and all that type of thing. So as, let's say, a blacksmith's guild, okay, if you had your meeting in the temple of Aphrodite, Aphrodite would become your patron goddess for the blacksmith's guild. And in your meeting of the blacksmith's guild, which, by the way, you were required to be a part of the guild if you wanted to practice that trade, kind of like a union today. But here's what you would do. As you had your patron god or goddess, an animal would be slaughtered as an offering to the patron god or goddess, and then you would eat a meal together. And a lot of times, if in that temple that god or goddess was worshipped through temple prostitution, then at your guild meetings, that's what would go on. So here you are as a Christian, and you're a member of a trade guild, and you're required to be part of the guild to practice that trade, you go to the meetings in the temples. Do you eat the meat sacrificed to idols? Do you engage in the sexual immorality? See, that's one of the things that kind of is hinted at is we're going to see the presence of a woman named Jezebel in the city of Thyatira, in the church of the city of Thyatira. She was teaching Jesus' servants to commit sexual immorality and to practice idolatry. And so it's suggested that perhaps, you know, you could see somebody coming along and saying, hey, you know what, maybe you should just be part of the guild. You know, maybe you should just go to the temple meetings. And if you're really going to reach people anyway, right, if you're going to be culturally relevant, then you should do what they do. We see the same thing today. People say, well, you know what, if I really want to reach people who smoke marijuana, maybe I should just smoke marijuana. But you can see how that would be a major problem. Okay, it's that type of thing that perhaps was going on in the church in Thyatira. Okay, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, verse 18, Jesus writes, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. It's interesting. To this church, he introduces himself as the Son of God. Now, in most instances in the New Testament, Jesus introduces himself as the Son of Man. So he introduces himself as the son of God, and he says he has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. We see both those images used in chapter 1. You know, if we say someone has gentle eyes, we understand what that means. If we say someone has beady little eyes, right, we understand what that means. 
Well, when somebody says he has eyes like a flame of fire, we understand what that means. It speaks to Jesus' penetrating gaze. We also read here that his feet are like fine brass. Brass was a metal that was associated with sacrifice and purification, but it was also the strongest metal in the ancient world. This will be like Jesus today saying, I have feet like titanium. Okay, so what we see here is Jesus saying of himself, I am the Son of God, and I am looking upon you with a penetrating gaze, and I am resolute in my stance of what I'm getting ready to say to you. He says, I know your works, verse 19, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. And he says, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. This church was progressing. Nevertheless, he says in verse 20, again, we've talked about that verse before, that word before, I should say. It's a word that means despite all that. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. He says, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. There's two things kind of going on here. One is just the false teaching aspect of it. False teaching is a big deal. You know, it strikes me that of all the letters, right, and this was a fairly insignificant city, but that all of the letters, this is the longest one. This is the one that Jesus has the most to say to. This is a big deal. Again, I know we live live in a day and age that's just kind of, what's the big deal? It's very subjective and, you know, truth is relative and all that kinds of stuff and just kind of define your own way. And if it works for you, okay. And it's just kind of a, a spirit of accommodation. What's interesting is that the phrase, verse 20, he says, I have a few things against you. The actual phrase says this, I have a few things that you tolerate. And I've said this before that I don't necessarily think the problem is just the false teacher. It's the people who listen to it. It says here, you allow that woman Jezebel. This was something they were allowing to go on. They should have put a stop to it. So we have to be careful of accommodating that. We have to be careful of allowing that to go on. Notice as well that it's this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. It doesn't say she is a prophetess. It says she calls herself a prophetess. Just because somebody puts up a banner and says, Bishop Kevin J. Fitzgerald, right? I could be lying. And look, I think why that's important is because in many instances, it's literally like a spell gets cast over the minds of Christians. That as long as somebody dresses nice and pants and breathes heavy and wipes their forehead and rents stadiums and has a good band and good PR, that if they call themselves a prophet, oh, they, they, must, they must be a prophet. Or they could be lying. And look, again, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you're not going to find a false teacher that advertises themselves that way. 
But it's one of those things where it's, look, it's all well and good to kind of talk about this in a very general sense. Here's what I've discovered about false teaching. It's very easy for us to contextualize this and say, yes, false teachers are bad. But it it hits home when you start saying that people like Joyce Myers are false teachers. Look, she's inspirational. She's motivational. Sounds great. Here's the problem, though. She teaches that when Jesus took on sin, he stopped being the son of God. And that when he stopped being the son of God, he actually went into hell for three days and suffered spiritually for your sin and mine. That his blood sacrifice wasn't enough to cover our sins. Here's the problem with that. That says then that his very nature was corrupt, that he had to pay for our sin spiritually. But that his physical sacrifice, because he was perfect, if he wasn't perfect and his, his nature was corrupt, then how did his blood pay for our sin? Because if his very nature was corrupt, then his blood wasn't perfect, which means the sacrifice he offered wasn't a perfect sacrifice, which means he couldn't have possibly saved us. The reason he saved us is because his blood was perfect, because he never stopped being the son of God. Oh, and by the way, she teaches that it was through his blood sacrifice when it was accepted in heaven, he became the first born again person. That Jesus had to be born again. Now, look, it's one of those things we, we, buy her, we buy her books, we see her on TV, and, and surely she, look, she looks great, she sounds great, she's popular. This is, it's got to be right on. Here's what I would say. You need to go research it for yourself. Because false teaching is dangerous, whether it's Benny Hinn, whether it's Bishop T.D. Jakes, whether it's Eddie Long, whether it's Rob Bell, whether it's Mark Driscoll, whether it's Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Rodney Howard Brown, There is false teaching everywhere. And the problem is the same problem with the church in Thyatira. Because you allow that person to teach it. If nothing else, it speaks to the tremendous biblical illiteracy there is plaguing the church. We just don't know our Bibles. And look, here's the problem again. Everybody was tracking with me as long as we didn't mention any names. And by the way, people are like, I can't believe you just mentioned names. Well, here's the thing. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he mentioned Hymenaeus and Alexander. He mentioned Philetus, who he said their message spreads like cancer. They overthrow the faith of some. Okay, last night, Kaysen's getting into bed. Amanda's putting him into bed. And as she's putting him into bed, you know, Amanda's so funny. She hates spiders. I do too, but I'm the man, right? So um, what'll happen is I'll hear this, Kevin, there's a huge spider. You know, and I, I hear huge spider and it's like, okay, I'm stealing myself for tarantula, arachnophobia. I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be bad. And then I get in there. Now there's this spider down in the corner, kind of on the other side of his bed. And I'm looking at it and it wasn't a black widow, okay? But let just for story's sake, let's say it was a black widow. Well, here's what I can tell you. We got tons of black widows on our property, like all around our property. There's just black widows everywhere. You know, for Amanda to send the kids outside, she's like putting them in a bodysuit, zipping them up, you know. <laughs> and I'm spraying all the time. But let's say I'm, Kaysen's getting into bed. She calls me in there, Kevin, there's a spider. And I look down there and there's a black widow. Now, if I go, oh, it'll be okay. I don't want to hurt the black widow. You know, It's fine. He'll be fine. That black widow may not hurt Kaysen. But what if it does? 
What if it did? What if that black widow did bite my son? And my son got poisoned and suffered and got toxic striations and had to go to the hospital. If in my desire to be loving towards the black widow, I put my son in jeopardy, you have to decide if you'd rather me allow the black widow to potentially threaten you or to be more concerned for you that we avoid the black widows. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds stop people from going towards things that will hurt them. So yeah, have I offended someone now because they listen to Joyce Myers? Possibly, but I can tell you this. There's doctrine that's wrong that's being taught and is very popular. Rob Bell. You know, I remember when Rob Bell came on the scene. Back when he had these NUMA videos. You know, kind of being an artist and these short films that were used to teach stuff. I thought, these are great. But then when the guy starts coming out that hell's not real and that we're kind of, God has this trajectory theology that, yeah, I know the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, but God knew that we were going to advance as a society. And so God envisioned a time when those particular passages were outdated. And that's for now. I'm sorry, I just don't agree with that. Now, here's the other really popular part of the verse. Yeah, I know. We might as well have an intermission now. You know, okay. First and second offenses. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Here it goes. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel. The false teaching in Thyatira came directly from a woman who was being allowed to teach. Uh, What's really interesting is that the same verbiage is used here that Paul the Apostle uses in his letters to Timothy when he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. It's the exact same thing. They were allowing a woman to teach. By the way, the phrase that woman can also be translated your woman. And the word for woman, it's an interchangeable word for woman and wife. So one way you can read this is because you allow your wife Jezebel. And since this is written to the angel or the messenger of the church, many people have said perhaps this woman Jezebel was actually the pastor's wife. And that you're letting this woman teach stuff that's wrong. Ladies, I didn't write it, but but here's the thing. There's one office in the church that God has specifically reserved for men. Okay, And it's the ongoing role of a teacher, pastor, elder in a local body. That's what Paul tells us. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Women can be deacons. Women can teach women. Women can teach children. Women with their husbands can teach other men. Women can, be, women can prophesy. We know that from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. There's just one thing that God says very specifically, but this I have reserved for a man. Now, look, the, the, the question is, do we trust God enough to go with that? Or do we stubbornly dig in our heels and say, yeah, I know I get to prophesy. I know I get to lead worship. I know I get to teach kids. I know I get to teach other women. I know with my husband, we can disciple other guys. I know I can prophesy, but I want to be a pastor. I want the one thing I'm not supposed to have. 
Which, by the way, Paul tells us why, because he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and he says, because in the garden, here's what happened. The woman was deceived. But I want you to understand what Paul is saying. The woman was deceived in a very key area, and it was in the area of discerning spiritual truth. If you look very closely at the lie that took place in the garden, the lie of Satan was essentially this. You can be like God. Well, being like God, wanting to be like God is a great thing. We're called to be godly. So surely if he's telling me there's something that I can do to be like God, that must be a good thing. But that was the area wherein the deception took place in that discerning of spiritual truth. You know, I was reading an article about this whole thing today, kind of stealing myself for the onslaught of criticisms in the coming week. Um, And it was talking about how most of the time, Men don't struggle with this. You know, most of the time, you know, guys are just black and white and they're like, hey, by the way, Benny Hinn's a false teacher. Oh, okay, I'll get rid of all my Benny Hinn stuff. I won't listen to him anymore. But you suggest that, hey, this woman teacher, by the way, she's teaching false stuff. A lot of times, and I'm speaking very generally, so please don't be offended, but a lot of times who struggles with that are ladies, are women. And here's why. I think... That when, when men hear someone teaching, that's, it's just, that's what it is. But a lot of times when, when ladies read books or listen to someone teaching, they develop a bond with that teacher. Emotionally, they love that person. That person represents something. So for someone to come alongside like me and say, oh, by the way, this, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, you're telling me I have to get, I get rid of this, this person I've developed this relationship with? That's going to hurt. I know, but I would rather spray the black widow than see you buy into teaching that isn't healthy. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're a woman. It has to do with their teaching something that's inaccurate. And I also believe very much that when God says, there's this one role that's specifically reserved for men. Can I, look, can I just be completely transparent with you? Right, because I've been lying this whole time. Um, Because I've held back all morning long. I'm going to be honest with you. I honestly don't think that the church suffers from a lack of strong female leadership. I'll I'll be honest with you. What I think the church suffers from is an absence of men. It's an absence of male leadership. And and I'll be honest with you. If if the Lord says, ladies, there's this one area that's reserved for men. Guys, if we go, well, she's a really good teacher. That may be. Not saying they're not good teachers. Not saying they're not gifted. Not saying Beth Moore isn't a fantastic communicator, but lately Beth Moore has started to go a little off. (laughs) I was with you the whole time until you said Beth Moore. I was. I was with you the whole time. Kevin, I I listen to Beth Moore. Okay, look, again, it's one of those things. I'm just saying that I really think that There's this whole thing, and I see it happening in families. I see it happening in the church. The spiritual leadership entrusted to men 
and God calls us to fulfill is greatly under attack. But what guys have a tendency to do is if somebody else is willing to do it, well, okay, go right ahead. They're really good at it too. Yes, but God has called you to die to yourself and fulfill that responsibility. Will we be criticized for it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I might as well have a target right here, right now. I'm sure that many people in the room are envisioning one. But this was the problem of the church in Thyatira. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman or your woman or your wife, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Okay, people think my words have been strong. Here's what Jesus says. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Um, the actual phrase in the Greek is, she did not want to repent. I, I see such a powerful picture of this uh, in John chapter 5, when Jesus finds the man by the pool who's been lame since birth, and he says to him, do you want to be made well? And you'd think, well, of course I do. I mean, I can't walk. I've, I've, I've been handicapped since I was born. Of, co of course I want to be made well. So why ask the question? Well, okay, let me ask the question. Do you want to stop looking at pornography? Do you want to stop getting drunk? Do you want to stop sleeping with your partner out of marriage? Do you want to stop doing drugs? Do you want... See, You see what I'm saying? We have to, in our heart of hearts, go, no, I don't want to stop getting drunk. Okay, then there's a sin you want to hang on to. The reality is God's going to give you time to repent of that. But there will be a point in time when God says, my spirit will not always strive with man. God is gracious, and I think what we see in this is we see God's mercy, but we also see God's justice. I'm giving her time to repent, but she doesn't want to. Every single one of us in here today has to decide if the reality of it is, Kevin, I just want to sin. I just want this thing over here and I don't want to stop doing it. That's the problem with sin is we can develop a relationship with it. And it's like we carry our sin with us in our pocket. Hi, my name's Kevin. Have I shown you my sin? Right here, you know. Sometimes it's a cute little sin. You know, it's like, oh, look at, it's my sin. And, and you know what? Sometimes we define ourselves by that sin. We do. Have you ever met people that like when, when they meet you, that's how they introduce themselves? Hi, my name's Kevin. I'm the alcoholic. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, my struggles. Hi there. My name's Kevin. I'm addicted to pornography. And they see themselves as that sinful person. It's like in their heart of hearts, by faith, they can't see themselves past that. Like, if you take away the fact that I've been lame since birth, right? You're going to change my income because I won't be able to come down here and beg for money anymore. You're going to change my social circle because I won't be hanging out with all the guys who hang out by the pool who have also been lame since birth. Do you want to be made well? Or would you rather continue to go on in a lame state and stay right where you are. 
It's a powerful question. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, and before Jesus tells them what to do, he tells them what he's going to do. He says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, by the way, we can read this and we can go, well, look, Kevin, okay, you're talking about sexual immorality. You're talking about adultery. All the, the false teachers you mentioned today, they're, they're, that's not what they're doing. They're not committing sexual immorality and I'm not committing adultery by listening to them. Adultery is not just physical. There is spiritual adultery. In the Old Testament, God tells the nation of Israel, he calls them adulteresses. James chapter 4 says that friendship with the world is adultery. So there is a spiritual adultery that if you've developed a relationship with someone who's teaching false doctrine, then you are in danger of committing spiritual adultery. Plus, there's that guilt by association. If you know that Bethel teaches off stuff, did you just say that? I did. Really? They're like, they're, they're like just a few miles up the road. I know. They get really good music. I know. But they also teach really weird stuff. Uh, I'm going out the back door today, by the way. The Lord says, I gave her time to repent. She didn't want to repent. He says, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent. I will kill her children with death. <laughs> yeah, again, you thought what I was saying was harsh. I will kill her children with death, the Lord says. And all here's why. All the churches will know that I am he. Jesus is doing this so the church would remember that he is the son of God. That the church is his. It, this is no different than the whole situation with Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts where they sell a portion of the land, they keep back part of the proceeds, they say they were bringing all the proceeds, and Peter approaches them and he says, why are you trying to lie to the Holy Spirit? And God strikes him dead. By the way, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because false teachers are allowed to go on and become more popular and highly visible, don't think a day is not coming when they won't be held accountable. Don't think a day is not coming when they will have to stand before the Lord and be confronted by him with regard to what they've done. He says, I am he. All the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, to you I say, and to all the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. The depths of Satan, you know, in the first century, you had the Ophites and the Gnostics who they were very much into knowledge and they thought that to really understand how Satan worked, then you had to really kind of delve into the hidden things of Satan. And, and you know, that's not that dissimilar from the idea that nowadays, if you're really going to wage effective spiritual war, you've got to really become familiar with the ways of Satan. And, you know, if you really want to understand how to fight effectively against Satan, go out and study the occult and all that kinds of stuff. If you're really going to be delivered from that demon of addiction that you have, if you're really going to be delivered from that, that demon of pornography, there are no demons of those things, by the way. There's a sin nature. When I lose my temper 
and I yell at my wife or I yell at my kids. I don't have a demon of anger that makes me do that. I have a sin nature that makes me do that. And, and here's the problem with the whole suggestion of you have a demon of a certain behavior. That means when you do it, you're not responsible. The demon made you do it because you have a demon of anger instead of, no, 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 you be angry and don't sin. You've been delivered. Those of you who have given your life to Jesus, you've been delivered. You've been transferred from the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. You do not have to keep going back and continue to be delivered. You've been delivered. You've been born again in Christ. Boom, you're delivered. You don't have to continue to be delivered. Now it's just the flesh against the spirit. Can you be influenced? Absolutely. Can you be possessed? Nope. You say, well, it's not really possessed to have a demon of anger. No, it just means that Jesus is a roommate. Because if Jesus lives in your heart, I can tell you right now, he ain't letting anybody else live in there. You've been delivered. Praise God. That's good news. So look, don't get caught up in the whole thing of thinking you have to understand all the inner workings of Satan. No, 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 no. Let's just familiarize ourselves with Jesus. Right? Let's hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock. Let's hide ourselves under his wing. He says, hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Verse 27 is a quote from Psalm 2. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's field, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. What I love is in Revelation 22, Jesus calls himself the morning star. And so here it's like Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you me. That's your reward. He who has an ear, verse 29, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.